grab your Bibles out or device and find Colossians 3, 12 to 17 we're reading. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Well, good morning, Richmond. For those I haven't met yet, I'm Nate. Uh, Many of you are aware of who I am. I haven't met some of you yet, but uh, it's really, really great to be together today. And uh, as we begin our message, I want to ask you, what comes to mind when you hear the word family? So when you hear the word family, or you see that word, what comes to mind for you? For some of us, we might have some really, really great memories that come together. So some of us might think about uh, special occasions. So we might think about birthdays, or we might think about weddings, or the birth of children. And so we might have really positive memories that come up. Some of us might think about specific times uh, in our lives, so it could be related to a holiday that we went on, or as many of you are aware, we lived overseas for a while, and so it could be some photos that are attached to that, uh, some photos that you've got hanging up around your house or on your phone or on your computer that you look at on a regular basis. It's important to name that for some of us, when we hear that word family, it's not positive things that come up, but it might be really negative things. It might actually bring up some feelings of brokenness and significant pain, and grief that we're experiencing. So this word family means a lot of different things to us, but I think for all of us, we long for and yearn for family. There's something that's baked into who we are where we just crave family. We know that we're supposed to have this thing called family around us. And so today we're going to continue this series that's called Core, where we're taking some time to unpack uh, some of what I think are the most important foundational things for me, the things that have really shaped my beliefs and my practices and the way that I go about things, but also the things that I think are the most important things for us as a church, particularly as we begin this new season together. And so last week we spent some time talking about Jesus and recognising that Jesus is core to absolutely everything that we focus on. Jesus is the one who shows us what God is like. Jesus is the one who uh, everything was created through and everything's created for. Jesus is the head and the leader of the church. Uh, And Jesus is the one who helps us to be able to find our place. And so this week, we're going to take some time to talk about this word, family. So uh, we mentioned last week that if you uh, have a notebook or a journal and you want to take notes as we go through the message, I encourage you to do that. It's really great to be able to jot down the things that jump out at us, uh, to be able to come back and think about them throughout the week. But also if you've got the Bible app on your phone, then uh, you can go down to the bottom right corner of that and tap on more and then go to events. And uh, if you have location services turned on, then you'll be able to see Richmond Baptist right there. If you don't, then you can search for Richmond Baptist and uh, message outline will be there. And so again, if you want to take notes that way and then save them uh, so that you can look at them through the week, then that's great. 
The other thing I want to mention is that uh, we're going to have a Q&R Sunday coming up in a few weeks' time. Now, that's a deliberate, not a mistake. Uh, I stole this from Melinda when I was at the Baptist Pastors Conference. Uh, she said, we don't do Q&A because we don't have all the answers. We do Q&R, question and response. And we hope that some of those responses are helpful for you. Man, I love that. So uh, we're going to do a Q&R Sunday in a few weeks' time. And uh, I know this is something that we've done previously at Richmond. It's something that I think is really, really important for us because it's an opportunity to dig into the questions that you've got about Jesus, about the Bible, about church, about how it all fits together. Uh, and it's an opportunity to dig into questions you might have that come out of our messages. So if there's anything that comes up in a message that you want to ask a question about at any time, you can do that. Uh, or if there are questions that you're being asked by friends or workmates or people at school or uni, or more importantly, the questions that you're terrified someone's going to ask you because you're like, I don't know what I would say to that. Send those questions through. So my number's there. Feel free to write that down and keep that in your phone. It's not right. No, that's right. Yeah, it's 861. I typed that up. It's not 816. <laughs> there you go. Good observation, Al. Uh, so, yes, 0411824861 is the correct number. <laughs> that would be helpful, wouldn't it? So you text some random person. It's getting all these questions. What has just happened? Make sure you get that right. Uh, so, yes. If you have questions at any point, feel free to text them through to me and I'm just going to keep a big list of them. And uh, we're going to do this regularly. So we'll do one at the start of October, uh, but we are going to keep coming back to them. So feel free to shoot questions through to the correct number anytime. That would be great. So as I said, when we talk about this word family, which is a word that we use a lot here at Richmond, we do have to acknowledge that it is a bit of a challenging word in some ways. Because for some of us, as I said, it is a, re a word that's filled with lots of really positive things. But for others of us, it is a word that's filled with lots of challenging things. And so we need to navigate through that and recognise that, sadly, more and more people in the community around us are experiencing lots of levels of brokenness uh, and dysfunction in their families. I would argue that every family, including ours, has levels of dysfunction. It's just that dysfunction is more obvious in some families than others. Uh, but it is something that is really significant for lots of people around us. And so if we're going to use that word family, we need to make sure that we know what we mean when we're saying family. But I also think that it is a word that's important enough that we don't just give up. Because for those of us where it's a positive experience, we can project positive things onto what church family means. For negative people, they can project negative things. So there is a temptation to say, well, let's just not use that word because it's too uncomfortable. We think there's enough that's important about it that we can redeem it. And that there are people who are searching for and craving family so much that we want to hold on to it as something that's a part of who we are. But it's really important for us uh, to talk through what we mean by it. So over the last few years, this is one of the ways that I've articulated what I would say are four really key important things about what family looks like. And so these are things that I think are present in healthy families in general. And therefore, if we want to be a healthy spiritual family, these are some things that we need to have in place as well. So authenticity, acceptance, encouragement and support. I think you need all of those things in order to be a healthy family. So authenticity, you need to be in a healthy family, a place where you can be yourself. You don't want to have to put on an act and pretend to be something that you're not. In a healthy family, you take your mask off and you're the real version of who you are, the authentic, genuine version of who you are. 
but in a healthy family, you also deal with things as they come up. So authenticity means we don't pretend that everything's fine when it's actually really not. We deal with things when we need to. We have the hard conversations that we need to so that we can move forward together. So healthy families, healthy spiritual families are authentic. In terms of acceptance, family should be a place where you feel like you belong, where you're accepted for who you are, not for, who, not for what you do, not because of your background or anything else. You're accepted because you're you and you're welcomed and you belong as a part of the family. And so in a healthy spiritual family, that's true as well. Encouragement, we all know how much of a difference encouragement makes, but often we think about encouragement just as kind of saying nice things to people. It's like, oh, I'm so grateful for that thing that you did, or you're so awesome at that, and that's what encouragement is. But encouragement has actually got the word courage at the centre of what it's about. Encouragement is actually about giving courage to other people. So yes, when we say nice things, that gives people courage. But encouragement also means I want to encourage you to step out and be courageous. I see this in you. I see the potential in you. What do you need to be able to courageously take your next steps in that direction? So in a healthy family, we encourage each other and we give each other courage. And then support. In a healthy family, it's a place where we can laugh together and where we can cry together, where we can go through all the different parts of what our lives are about. And so in a healthy spiritual family, we've got those people who are with us no matter what's happening. And that's not necessarily about the things that people say. Sometimes support just looks like someone who wraps their arm around you and says, I'm with you. I know you're going through a hard time and I'm here for you. So I think those are four really, really key things for us to hold on to and to say those are family values, if you like, and so we want to keep working on those things. Now, we never are perfect at those things. They're aspirational values, and because we're people, we mess them up all the time, and we don't get those things right. But we want to keep working harder and harder at those being the things that people experience as a part of our family together. So the passage that we're then going to look at today helps us understand some of the practical realities of what it looks like to live as spiritual family. So let's jump in. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, Paul starts by saying, since God chose you to be the holy people that he loves. Since God chose you to be the holy people that he loves. This is a staggering introductory statement when you stop and think about it. God chose you. It wasn't a mistake. It wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't something that you just kind of lucked into. God chose you. This was God's desire since before the creation of the world was to choose you. But to choose you for what? To choose you as someone that he loved. God chose you to be a part of his family. God wants you to be a part of his family. This was always his desire for you and for us. But we also have this word that God chose us to be the holy people that he loves. I don't know about you, but often when I read the word holy, I genuinely think like perfect. Holy means I've got to be perfect. But holy actually means set apart for a purpose. When we read the word holy in scripture, that's what's often being talked about, is the idea of being set apart for God's purposes. Now we project perfection onto that because we recognise that God has set us apart to live as the people who were created to live the way that he called us to be. But it's important for us to just say, no, no, it's not about being perfect. It's just about recognising God's chosen us to be set apart for his purposes. So what are his purposes? That's a great question. Thank you for asking. That's what Paul unpacks in the rest of the passage. So Paul continues, Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. 
Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. So I love this picture that Paul's painting here of the family clothing that we put, in, that we put on to clothe ourselves in these things. In some ways, Paul's saying, when people look at us, this is what they should see us wearing because we're God's family. And it is quite a list. It's a long list of things. And so as we go through, I want you to think about which of these are comfortable clothes for you. So maybe like putting on a good pair of trackies or a nice hoodie, which of these are like, yeah, I feel pretty comfortable with that one. And which of them, maybe not so much, a little bit tight fitting, a little bit uncomfortable, a little bit like putting on a suit if you don't like wearing a suit. So which of these would you say you feel pretty comfortable in? Which of them, if you're honest, is maybe a bit more tight fitting? Now, we could actually dig into all of these. We could do a message on each one of these, and maybe at some point we'll come back and do that. So I'm going to give a very, very quick overview of them, but just which ones jump out at you. So the first item of clothing that Paul talks about is tender-hearted mercy. Other translations use the word compassion here. And so the word mercy really means doing for someone else what you would want them to do for you if you were in their shoes. Doing for someone else what you would want them to do for you if you were in their shoes. Compassion means moved so much. It actually talks about being moved to the core of who we are, moved to our gut so much that we can't not act. We have to do something about it. So mercy and compassion are very, very similar, but it's very different to pity, which is just kind of feeling sorry for someone, or even empathy, where we put ourselves in someone else's shoes to understand how they're feeling. Mercy and compassion means we take our next step because we have to. We can't not do something about it because we understand what someone else is going through. Paul then talks about the clothing of kindness. And sometimes we can think about kindness as just kind of being nice. But kindness is far more profound than that. It's acts of kindness. It's doing good things for others. But one of the uh, definitions I read this week that I think is really helpful is acts of goodness for the well-being of others. Things that we choose to do so that someone else's experience is that the goodness in their life actually goes up. So that's what kindness looks like. Paul then says, put on the clothing of humility. And uh, humility, we often think of as thinking of everyone else as better than us. So I don't know about you, but sometimes when we think about humility, it's like, oh, I've got to make sure that I'm not too proud. But sometimes we can go too far with that. And we can effectively put ourselves at the bottom of the pile and say, well, I want to be humble. So I'm just going to make sure everyone else is better than I am. That's actually pride in reverse, because what we're really saying then is, I'm the best, worst person. I'm the best, worst person, because I'm at the bottom of the pile. That's not humility, actually. Humility is not thinking of anyone as better than us, but also not thinking of anyone worse than us. It's recognising that we're all the same because of Jesus. So no one's worse than me, but no one's better than me either. We're all equal. Most helpful understanding of humility that I've heard is that it's not about thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. It's not about thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. Then Paul talks about gentleness. Gentleness is another one of these things that we can think of that's kind of a bit weak. So gentleness, meekness, just kind of being nice to everyone and don't let anyone, don't let anything happen that's bad. But gentleness, best translation I've uh, ever understood of that is strength under control. Gentleness is strength under control. So it's not letting people walk all over us. It's not just saying we're going to let people have a free-for-all and just be nice to everyone, don't make a fuss. 
It is about making sure that we have the hard conversations that we need to and that we do move forward in the things that we need to, but doing, in a, doing it in a way where we're under control. We never fly off the handle. We never get angry at people and kind of lose it. We're under control as we move forward in the different things that we do. Then Paul talks about uh, what I would say is my most tight-fitting piece of clothing, patience. Can't say that this one is really, really comfortable for me to put on, but patience is really about us being willing to wait for what's best. Being willing to stop long enough to say, is this actually the best thing? Or am I willing to wait for the best thing to come and then act at that point? And then Paul says that we need to make allowance for each other's faults, forgiving anyone who offends us. This is really about recognising that no one's perfect. We're going to spend time, if we interact with anyone, having people who in one way or another do something to us at some point, where they hurt us, or they don't meet our expectations, or they say something that offends us. And so Paul says, are we willing to offer forgiveness to those people? And the challenge that he throws out is to say, Jesus is willing to forgive us for everything. So all of the mistakes that we make, all of the times that we offend other people and hurt other people, Jesus is willing to forgive us. So why would we not be willing to then offer that same forgiveness to other people? Now, I don't know about you, but that, like, that's a long list. That's a lot of things to think about. Like, oh, every day I've got to come, like, how many of these pieces of clothing do I have to put on and walk around with? Kind of feel all bulky. And so Paul simplifies it down very, very well. In verse 14, he says, Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which holds everything together. And so in some ways, this is the easy version of what Paul has just said. If in every moment we stop and think, what is the most loving thing to do? We will do all of those things. If we start with love and say, what is the most loving thing to do in this situation? Then we will end up doing all of the things that Paul has just talked about. We're going to come back and talk about that a bit more in a couple of weeks' time. So then in verse 15, Paul says, And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. Now, when we read that word peace, many of us are aware that that's the Jewish word shalom. That's really, really powerful. Because when we think about peace, we often just think about the absence of conflict. So peace is just no bad things happening. But the concept of shalom is so much more richer and powerful than that. It really is about everything being the way that it's supposed to be. So full, complete relationships with God, with each other, and with creation. That's what shalom looks like. And so Paul says, let the peace that comes from Jesus, and that's really, really important, the peace that doesn't come from our circumstances. Sometimes this is the peace of Jesus that comes despite our circumstances. Let the shalom of Jesus have the final say in our hearts, rule our hearts. And the imagery that's being used here is that of an umpire. So when you think about, we've been watching the footy finals and how great that's been, uh, think about basketball or soccer or netball, whatever your favourite sport is, when you think about sport and an umpire, they have the final say. Now, as I was thinking about that this week, there is some complexity there in terms of it going to a review and the third umpire and all of those shenanigans. So we won't get into that. We'll just pretend in Paul's day they didn't have any of that technology. So just think about an umpire is the one who has the final say. They make the final decision and then you move forward. Paul's saying, let peace be the umpire in your life. Whenever you're making a decision, just stop and say, what is the most shalom-filled thing 
that I can do in this situation? What is going to bring shalom for me and for the people that I interact with? Let that be the thing that makes you make the decision that you need to make as you move forward. And then Paul says, in the rest of verse 15, and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all of its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom that he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So we can really sum that up by saying practice gratitude. And I love that there is so much research that's going on at the moment and has happened over the last couple of decades about the difference that gratitude makes in our lives. So there is now scientific proof that when we practice gratitude, serotonin and endorphins, the feel-good juices, are released into our bodies. When we stop and practice gratitude, the feel-good juices are released. When we practice gratitude, it lays down new neural pathways for us that change our perceptions and our perspectives. And the more that we practice gratitude, the stronger those neural pathways become. So for a number of years now, I've been challenging myself about what it looks like to practice gratitude. And it is something that's really, really important for me because as someone who is constantly looking forward and thinking about what's next and being strategic and what's the next thing to work on, it's actually really hard for me often to celebrate the things that have happened. It's like, well, that's happened. Like, let's move on. What's next? So I've been challenged over the last few years to stop and actually practice gratitude on a regular basis. And so each day, that's a part of my journaling practice, is before I write anything else down and start thinking about what's coming up, before I read anything in scripture, I write down some things that I'm grateful for in that moment or some things that have happened over the last 24 hours. Now, that's been good and helpful, but uh, I was meeting with a coach earlier this year and I was challenged about whether I just turned that into another to-do list item, which is also a challenge for me. It's like I like to get things done. So this had become, honestly, a to-do list. So get up in the morning and I'm going to do my gratitude list. So I wrote my gratitude list, tick that box, move on. Next thing, let's move on. And so I was challenged by the coach. Uh, we were talking about what sorts of things I savour. And so we talked about the idea that I love dark chocolate and so just love a nice piece of dark chocolate just melting in your mouth, savouring it. Or when you have a really, really fantastic meal and you actually stop and chew the food slowly, which we don't do very often, just savour it. Man, this tastes amazing. There's something different that happens in that moment. And so we link that across to gratitude to say, well, what if I do this practice each morning instead? So what I now do is that I get my breakfast ready and I take it out to where I'm going to do my journaling, I write my gratitude list out, and then I put my pen down, and I eat my breakfast. And as I eat, I deliberately slow down and concentrate on eating my breakfast and enjoying it and savouring the flavours while I think about the things that are on my gratitude list and actually savour the things that I'm grateful for. Slow down and actually let it have the effect that it should and it's been really, really amazing. I've been very grateful to be able to do that. What's really fascinating is that there is actually a link between the words grace and thanksgiving that we have in our Bibles. So those words are often translated interchangeably. Sometimes it's translated as grace. Sometimes it's translated as thanksgiving. And when we think about grace, we often think about, so often the translation that we use is grace is unmerited favour. 
But when we think about grace, it's actually a gift that we're given that we don't deserve. But even that's not quite strong enough. Grace is a gift that we're given that it doesn't matter how hard we try, we would never, ever be able to earn it. No matter how hard we work, we would never, ever be able to earn the gift that we're given. That's what grace looks like. And so it makes sense because when we stop and think about being given a gift, you gave us a whole bunch of gifts last week, would have been very rude for us to just take all those gifts and then move on. Again, for me, challenge, stop, celebrate, recognise these awesome things. And so we've looked at those things this week. But if you think about your birthday or at Christmas, people give you a gift, you should stop. Think, wow, someone went to all the trouble of giving me this. Isn't that amazing? I'm so grateful that I've got this and it turns into thanksgiving. So it's really obvious why those two words are so clearly linked. So what Paul's saying here is that we are giving gifts all the time. God pours so much into our lives. Are we willing to stop and practice gratitude for them? Are we willing to actually say, thank you, God, for all of the amazing things that you give me? So that's what it looks like for us to live as family as God's chosen people that he loves, that he wanted as a part of his family, God's people who are holy, set apart for a purpose, we're set apart to be able to live these things out, to be able to focus on love, to be able to let peace have the final say, and to practice gratitude. Now, one last comment before we take some time to think about what that looks like as we head into this week. Once again, I was conscious as I was preparing this this week that it can easily become another to-do list. So I was like, wow, this is a big list of things that I'm taking into this week of all these things that I have to achieve. And if we come back to this imagery that Paul uses about the idea of it being clothing, the picture that came to mind for me is the difference between putting something on lay-by and someone buying something for you. And I think with a lot of these sorts of things that we read about in the Bible, we can often think, well, if I work hard enough... Maybe I'll get what's on the other side of that. So with this list, if I do all of these things, if I can somehow manage to put all of these things into practice, at some point, God might accept me. God might love me. God might say, now you're a part of the family. It's kind of like lay-by. Just put more down and more down and more down and hope that sometime we might have earned enough, worked hard enough to be able to finally get it. But remember where Paul started. Since you are... God's chosen, loved, holy, set-apart people put these things on. They've already been given to each of us. They're already hanging up in your wardrobe. They're there, available for you every day to be able to put on. You don't have to earn and work to be able to get them. They're there as the family clothing that God wants us to put on because he's done everything necessary for us to already be a part of the family. So, As we head into this week then, I'll take a moment just to be able to pause and think about what does that look like for me? Does it look like to help us to be the healthiest version of spiritual family? And it's important to recognise that if we want to be a healthy family, then that requires all of us. And so there's some really important language to just kind of check yourself about as we think about what this looks like. As you think about Richmond, do you think about it as their church or that church that I go to, or do you think about it as my church? Just take a moment and think about which of those is the more normal language for you. That church that I go to, or other people's church, whoever that is, or is it my church? Because our hope 
when we talk about family, is that this moves to be my church for everyone, that that's our experience. And if we think about the idea of kind of journeying from being a guest to being a family, it can kind of help. So if we were to invite you over to our house for dinner, then we would clean the house up immaculately as much as we could. We would cook the food. We'd say, no, no, we don't want you to bring anything. It's totally fine. We got this. So you just come over and you're our guests. And then we would serve you. We would make sure that you had everything that you needed. And then if you offered to do the dishes, we'd say, no, 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 it's fine. We'll put it all away after you're gone. It's all good because you're our guests and we want you to feel welcome and like our guests. But if you came over a second time and a third time and a fourth time, you get to a point of being like, no, no, we want to contribute. We want to bring dessert. Or we want to help with the dishes. Like, let us help with this. Because you don't want to stay as a guest. You want to feel like you belong. And ultimately, if we got to know each other really, really well, and you're coming over to our house all the time, we would stop cleaning up. And we would say, just move that out the way. Just chuck it on the floor. It's totally fine. And we would stop offering drinks and say, you know where the glasses are? Go and help yourself. Go and grab whatever you want. And yes, you can do the dishes. Thank you. Put that in the dishwasher. That would be really, really great. You're starting to move towards family. While you're new to Richmond, we want you to feel like you're a guest and that you are very, very welcome here. There's no pressure whatsoever. But at some point, there will be a shift that starts to kick in, where there's this sense of saying, I want to feel like I'm a part of the family. I want to contribute in some way. And so that's not guilt-inducing. That's not you have to do stuff. That's we hope you get to a place where you feel like this is our family, and so we want to contribute into what we're doing as well. So with that in mind, as we head into this week and think about this question, that's what I want you to think about, is what is your next step? And so if you are newer to our community, then it is about just, okay, well, what's next for me? What does it look like to find out more about who Richmond is to make a decision about whether I want this to move to being our church? And while you're guests, as I said, there's no pressure whatsoever. For some of us, it might be about thinking about those four different elements. So authenticity, maybe it is about, if I'm honest, I know that I do put on a bit of a mask and I'm not my genuine self here. Maybe it's time for me to pull that off and to say, it's okay for me to be the real version of who I am. Maybe it is about acceptance and saying, how do I help someone else belong and feel like they are a part of our church family? Could be about encouragement. Is there someone that you can speak a word of encouragement to or send something to this week or support someone you know is going through a hard time, being able to say, I'm thinking of you, I'm praying for you. Maybe it's something along those lines. Could be related to what Caitlin talked about earlier about getting involved. So it could be about filling out that form and saying, yes, I want to find out more about what it means to be involved here and join one of the teams. Or it could be about membership, saying, yes, this is my spiritual family and talking to us about what that next step is. Or joining a gospel group and finding out what it looks like to join the smaller parts of our family where a lot of these relational uh, dynamics kick in in a new way. For some of us, it might actually be about telling others about our spiritual family and recognising that there are lots and lots of people that we interact with every week who crave what we take for granted because we who've been around for a while know the value of what spiritual family looks like. There are so many people who are so isolated and lonely and desiring what we've got. It's an opportunity for us to say that's why I'm a part of a church is because I have the opportunity to experience all of these things. It could be something completely different. Take a few moments, going to put some music on and just reflect. What's your next step in helping us to move forward as being a healthy spiritual family? Take some time to process and you can jot something down, talk to the person next to you and uh, then we'll come back and pray together.
Jesus, we're so grateful that the picture that we see painted <clears throat> throughout Scripture, throughout the New Testament in particular, is this picture of family, that that is your desire for us. And that's what you came to achieve for us, to help us to understand that each of us have been chosen to be a part of your family and that you've done everything necessary for us to experience what that looks like. That our spiritual journeys are not about us trying to work hard enough to hope that at some point we might earn that. It's been given to us. We're so grateful that that's how you have set up what your kingdom looks like. We think about all the different ways that you could have come and shown us what God is like and all the different ways that the church could be configured. It's amazing that this is what you chose for us. We're so grateful for it. And so our desire is uh, that we can be the best version of what that looks like, that you would continue to challenge us and refine us about what the healthiest version of spiritual family looks like. We thank you that it is baked so deeply into the DNA of who we are as a church, that it is something that is so significant for so many of us, that it's one of the first things that we would talk about when we talk about this church. But we ask that you would continue to stretch us and challenge us and that you would renew us about understanding what it means for us to be family, not just for ourselves, but for the people around us who are so craving the same sort of environment uh, that we get to participate in week in and week out. And as we move forward into that, we pray that you would continue to help us to understand what it looks like to live as your family, as your holy, set-apart people. Help us to be able to move forward and to put those clothes on each day to represent you well, Jesus, and in doing so to help others have an amazing encounter uh, with what it looks like uh, to recognise that we have been chosen, that we are loved, and that we are set apart. We thank you that we do all of these things, not because we're good enough, not because we're strong enough, but because of you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.